Hello, friends, and welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world, too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Lohman, and the 28th MLS Cup final is set between the Columbus Crew and Los Angeles Football Club. We're going to break down the conference finals that got us there, along with the U.S. Women's National Team's two friendlies against China, the road to CONCACAF W Gold Cup, and once again, I'm going to get nerdy about college soccer. But let's start in MLS with the Eastern Conference final, which was an instant classic. FC Cincinnati struck first in the 14th minute after a bad giveaway by Columbus wingback Mohamed Farsi on the flank. Aaron Bupenza immediately pounced on it and whipped in across to the middle of the box where Brandon Vasquez took one controlling touch and another to split two crew defenders and set himself up on his left foot where he hit a shot across his body into the far post for his second career playoff goal. This match was played at about 100 miles per hour with both teams running at each other. But as the first half wore on, Columbus established more possession and looked like the better team. Cucho Hernandez had a couple good looks at goal, one cleared off the line by Alvis Powell, the Jamaican international defender who won an MLS Cup with Portland Timbers in 2015. And another first-time shot that was blasted from Steven Moreira's cross, forcing a reaction save out of Roman Salentano. Right before halftime, Cincinnati earned a free kick at the corner of the box after Vasquez took what I thought was a clear dive. Uh, regardless, Alvaro Barriel worked a clever set play, running it over the ball and rolling it towards the middle of the field along the top of the box, where Lucho Acosta curled the ball past the onrushing defenders off the inside of the far post and in his second goal of these playoffs and third playoff goal of his career. Two critical things happened for Columbus early in the second half. In the 51st minute, Patrick Schulte made a great diving save on Bupenza on a chance that easily could have made it 3-0 Cincinnati. Then in the 65th minute, crew head coach Wilfred Nancy subbed on Christian Ramirez and American Gold Cup legend Julian Gressel. That paid dividends 10 minutes later as Gressel delivered a cross from the right wing to the near post where Ramirez directed it on goal and it ricocheted off Salentano and Powell and rolled into the net, cutting the Cincinnati lead to 2-1. to one. Columbus continued the pressure and in the 86th minute, Gressel crossed for Ramirez again this time at the top of the box where he brought it down for Diego Rossi, who laid it off for Cucho. The Cincy defenders got stuck in against Cucho, but the ball popped out back to Rossi, who slotted a finish into the bottom corner to equalize at 2-2, his second goal of these playoffs and third career playoff goal. The crew continued to dominate in the extra time period, and in the 115th minute, Trinidad and Tobago international Kevin Molino recycled an overhead Gressel cross serving a ball to the back post where Cucho headed it across goal and a flat-footed Cincy backline was beaten to the ball by Ramirez, who tapped in his third career playoff goal to give the crew a 3-2 win, the second straight playoff round where Ramirez has scored the game winner. Dom, what were your thoughts on this all-time classic? The vibes meter for me was like through the roof with this one. Um, this felt like MLS Cup, not even felt even an octave higher than the conference final. Um, I, I thought it was entertaining from whistle to whistle. Uh, if it had gone to PKs, it would have been one of those situations where I would have felt that PKs was an unfair way to end it, but it, it would have been deserved, if that makes sense. Like, I don't really know if either team deserved necessarily to win or lose more than the other. I thought it was a great match where you and I talked about it a ton last week. 
this was going to come down to which teams stars were going to make kind of those game-changing plays. We saw it early with Cincinnati, and we saw it late with with Columbus. And I think you texted me more than once on Saturday, is Nazi the best coach in MLS? Um, I feel like this is one of those matches that kind of proved that. Um, Columbus was dominating the game, honestly, for most of the first half. And as you texted me at halftime, all they have to show for it is a 2-0 deficit. Um, they had that play where Bupenza easily could have made it 3-0, and they didn't. They were probably reeling like crazy. Nancy makes a couple of not only subs, but I'm assuming tactical decisions with those subs. And it and it completely changed the entire scope, outcome, outlook of the match, honestly, almost instantly, right? Even in, in the buildup to them scoring that first goal, like Columbus was humming. And so I think when they eventually found the winner an extra time, it's hard to say that it wasn't deserved. But regardless, incredible match, amazing atmosphere in Cincinnati. I really got to give that city credit for accepting their team from the jump, even in the old USL days, um, and for making that place not only a fortress for FC Cincinnati, but an incredible atmosphere for those like you and I watching at home. Yeah, Cincinnati's been at it since day one. Even when, they, yeah, like you said, when they were in USL, and they were playing at Nippert Stadium, where the Cincinnati yep. Bearcats play football, they were still getting 30,000 people. We talked about it last episode. Uh, the hell is real Derby and the previous meeting in the U S open cup. Like that atmosphere is crazy. And that was back before they were even an MLS team. I'll echo your thoughts there. I mean, this, this was awesome. Like game games like this are why I love following this league and why I just love the uniqueness of American soccer. I mean, just the stakes, the quality of play, the drama, the atmosphere, MLS has its flaws, but like it's such a fun time to be a fan and be engaged in stuff like this that anyone who any Euro snob that turns their nose up at MLS is missing out. They're missing out on a good time because this was just an absolute blast. Um, I will stand by my text to you that I think Wilfred Nancy is the best coach in MLS right now. I mean, you touch on it. The even in the first half, I mean, they were clearly the better team. And I I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen a team dominate and have a couple breaks go against them and you go down to nothing. And that that's just all she wrote. It's over from there. The metal to come back from that. And then not only just like the mental fortitude of a team that is playing under him, but he made the exact right tweaks and bringing on Gressel and Ramirez who, I mean, Gressel starts on a lot of MLS clubs. For, for him to come off the bench for Columbus, like they might have more depth than like anyone in this league. And, th- and it's a league. I mean, we talked about some of the flaws of the league. It's hard to build depth, just the way the roster construction rules are built. Like you're pretty thin most of the time. To have options like that off the bench, and I think the tactical tweak that really put it over the edge for them is that they start going more direct. And I think they saw something there. It's like, all right, like, we just need Julian Gressel just serving the ball into the box, and we're going to see what happens. That's basically where all three goals came from. Um, I was super impressed by that by that tactical change. Um, 
I mean, and mind you, Cincinnati was head and shoulders the best team in the league all year long. Like, this is to take nothing away from them, take nothing away from Pat Noonan, Lutro Acosta's MVP, Noonan Coach of the Year, Matt Miazga, Defender of the Year. They won Supporters Shield, their first trophy in club history. This is incredible, incredible team, incredible season. They looked at the end of that extra time period, gassed. They looked like they did not want to be there anymore. That's well, that's impressive to me. It is like I said last episode where, you know, in Europe, there are no playoffs for these leagues, right? And so you and I being Arsenal fans who are leading the Premier League, like right now is when really good teams in European leagues tend to play their best ball. Because there's no European competition really to worry about because of the winter break. Most cup competitions are kind of uh, irregular, if you will. And so they can put a lot of energy into league play, right? And so winning a season-long trophy, you kind of need to be playing your best ball in the middle portions of the season, which, again, is why it's so hard, in my opinion, to win both MLS Cup and the Supporters Shield, or why it's even hard for NBA teams who have the best regular season record to win an NBA title or an NHL team with the best regular season record to win a title because you're not often playing your best ball in the playoffs, right? And, I mean, I feel like we saw that in the opening round against the Red Bulls when they got pushed like crazy at Red Bull Arena. We definitely saw it in the second round against Philly where going into Saturday, I'm like, if if one of these teams left can just find a couple of extra moments, Cincinnati is super gettable. And like you said, not to take anything away from what they've done, but super gettable team, at least at this stage of this season. And again, that's perfectly fine. Like that's just going to happen Winning MLS Cup is really hard. Getting to the playoffs should be much harder than it is, but that's a, probably a conversation for like January or February when we're doing our preview for the next season. But I say all of that to say Columbus is a great team. Cincinnati for the entire year was a greater team, but since but Columbus found its best ball in these critical moments that it takes to win MLS Cup. We mentioned last episode that because of Columbus's depth, Cincinnati was probably going to need to have their stars have big moments. And they did. Like, first goal came from Bupenza and Vasquez, your two strikers, combining pretty beautifully on a pretty remarkable play. And your second goal came from Lucho Acosta doing MVP shit. Like we said that he would have to do. And it, I think, is a testament to how good Columbus is that that still wasn't enough. Yep. Uh, my other note, I I think Cucho Hernandez, although he did not score a goal in this match, he was so good doing everything off the ball. I mean, he got the assist on the winner. I He has to be among the league's elite number nines, right? I would say so. I mean, just – I think you have, like – I think you have to put players like him in that category simply because they're doing these crazy things in these massive matches, right? Like that, that matters. That helps you cement your legacy. So yeah, I would say so. 
Like I'm trying to think like Denny Buanga isn't really like a true number nine. He's more of like a wiener that cuts in and he's just mm-hmm. kind of a freak in his own right. Right. I'm trying to think of who else would be in that conversation. Like Yakamakis from Atlanta. I, Vasquez had a fine, you know, decent year, but he wasn't, you know, the superstar for them. Like he maybe was last year. Like, I don't know if anyone is in Cucho's, um, in his realm right now. Like, I think most of like, the true really number nine or number tens, you know, like which yeah. is number 10. Mm-hmm. As a number nine, you, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think a lot Jordan of Jordan Morris, he, maybe, <laughs> you know, that's probably not too far off base if we're being completely honest. I was mostly, I think in terms of like lifetime achievement, Morris is probably ahead yeah. of Kucho, but I think best player on the field yeah. right now is still yeah. Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Any other thoughts on the East before we move westward? Not really. I mean, I think I, – I will say I think the Eastern Conference playoffs have really been a phenomenal show from start to finish. Yep. And I think just for that side of the bracket, that match was like the perfect cherry on top. So I think what had been a really entertaining playoffs for the East. Um, now, super impressed – Congrats to Columbus. Congrats to Darlington Nagby, who just wins like literally everywhere. It's still bananas. And seeing, I think, who was it? Was it Diego Valeri that posted yep. that that just Darlington tweet? Um, a beautiful He's like waxing poem. poetic about how yeah. great Darlington Nagby is yeah. like as a human being and like is a leader. Yeah, it was awesome. Super Bowl writ too. And I also want to just say, I know the U.S. Men's National Team pool has continued to get deeper and deeper, but it still feels somewhat like a crime that a lot of MLS guys have gotten caps while he has been left at home over the last, what, six to eight years. So I saw – I had the same thought, honestly, and then I saw something. I don't know if I can verify this, but I guess – like someone had tweeted that he just like wanted to spend more time like with his family and just like focus on not soccer during international breaks and like declined a couple call-ups. It was like, I don't really, really? want to okay. do that. And so U.S. soccer just stopped bothering. Well, then you know what? Good Which for like him. good for him. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, off the top of my head, his resume is crazy. So he won an NCAA championship at Akron. He won a gold cup for the U.S. He's won an MLS cup with three different teams, with Portland, with Atlanta, and with already with Columbus back in 2020. He could win a fourth. I also don't have this off the top of my head. I don't know if there are many players in the league that have won three MLS cups or more with three different teams. Like, that's a pretty crazy – he just – everywhere he goes, he just wins. He's awesome. The Western Conference Final between LAFC and Houston Dynamo – was delayed for a bit because of just a huge amount of smoke sitting over the field. I'm assuming from a pregame pyrotechnics display and just a beautiful display of because CONCACAFness. Uh, once the game did eventually get started, Carlos Vela, a two-time Gold Cup winner with Mexico, in addition to being an Arsenal legend and an MLS MVP, had a great look at goal right out of the gate. In the second minute, Timothy Tillman played an incisive ball into the box for Vela who found himself in between the center backs, but his chip shot hit the crossbar. The Dynamo had a decent look in the sixth minute as Hector Herrera clipped a ball to the back post where Corey Baird 
caught it on the half volley and forced Maxime Crapeau to slide over and cover the post. It was all LAFC the rest of the half with Vela, Denny Buanga, and Christian Oliveira combining nicely. At one point, Houston goalkeeper Steve Clark got paled out by the offside flag as he came way off his line and fouled Vela on a breakaway for what surely would have been a red card if the play was onside. LAFC finally broke through in the 44th minute as Vela delivered a corner kick that Giorgio Chiellini got to first. His header was saved, but Clark couldn't corral the rebound, and Ryan Hollingshead pounced on it to score his third goal of these playoffs and fourth career playoff goal. He previously previously scored at this stage in the 2015 Western Conference Final as FC Dallas lost to Portland Timbers on aggregate. The second half featured a ton of Houston on the ball, but very little legitimate scoring chances. LAFC put the nail in the coffin of their 2-0 win in the 80th minute as Ecuadorian international Diego Palacios put a cross into the box that bounced off of Franco Escobar and into the net. Dom, what were your thoughts on the West? I think this was just like kind of a classic case where a team that gets hots run just sort of ends. This This felt equivalent to most of the time in the NCAA tournament when like basketball men's basketball tournament when like a double digit seed finds their way into the final four and then just gets boat raced by insert power 16 here like to take nothing away what uh from what Houston's accomplished over the last say two to three months but they they just they just ran into a buzzsaw I mean you texted me the next morning like LAFC just looks like that team and they look like they found the same exact form that they had in the middle of last season when they won the supporters shield. Like I think this version of LAFC would beat the version of LAFC that was in the playoffs last year. I truly even without Gareth Bale. I do. I really do. Just, just based on form alone, and what I've seen and how like the like like they swept Vancouver super easily. Yep. Right. Going up to Vancouver in that environment is not an easy place to play. And they kind of did so easily. They went into a meltdown Se- out of Benny Sartini in the process. Correct. Correct. Go into Seattle, which I still believe Seattle is them and Portland are the two most intimidating places to me to play as a visiting player, just because of the history of the clubs, what the crowds are normally like, just the fact that Seattle is in an NFL stadium, I think just makes it a more imposing place to play. And they handled it like MLS cup champions do. Um, I, I just, for, I mean, for 60 minutes, the first 60 minutes, it felt like, okay, great. Houston has a ton of the ball, but where are the chances? Where are the decisive balls that are going to cut lines that they had been doing for the last two months? Oh, that's right. They're getting cut out by the world-class back line that LAFC has. And then, and then what did LA do? They pounced on their couple of chances clinically and thoroughly and it, and it and even after the first goal it felt over yeah. like it was 1-0 and it felt over it felt over in the 40th minute and it felt like Houston was out of ideas before we had even finished the opening half um great for LAFC i 
I don't want to say they're they're going to win MLS Cup because I also think they're running into a sort of buzzsaw in Columbus. But if I was a betting man, LA is who I would be putting a lot of money on to win on Saturday in Columbus. Another just quintessential LAFC match, and here is like the perfect stat line to explain what the LAFC experience is. Houston held 70% of the possession in that game. In terms of expected goals, the kind of the analytical stat that tries to explain, you know, the cumulative effect of all the scoring chances that you have in a normal kind of average setting, how many goals would you expect total from that? LAFC, despite holding 30% of the ball, had the advantage in expected goals of 2.3 to 0.4, which is, in analytic terms, I think this is an industry term, an ass-kicking. Yeah. With 30%, like, that's yep. nuts. And I think I think as I'm talking through it and saying it out loud, I think I'm coming around to your point that this team may be even better than the double-winning team last year because I think they're more pragmatic. Whereas well, last year's... I also want to say like like LAFC at this point last year versus this team at this very point this year. I think this year's LAFC going into MLS Cup mm, is yeah. playing much better soccer than at the LAFC last year going into MLS Cup that honestly kind of had to scrape their way through the playoffs sure. to get to that final before needing a miracle, a miracle from Gareth Bale just to send that thing to extra time. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, I mean, this team, you can have as much of the ball as you like, but you're not going to do shit with it. Yep. <laughs> and, like, I – when Chiellini started at the beginning of these playoffs, I'm like, man, like, he's kind of getting up there. Like, do, you, do we really want to start the the older Italian gentleman? And he's been great. He's been awesome. Like, <laughs> prove me wrong. And the thing is, like, they're not even – they're not parking the bus by any means. They're just – the ultimate absorb pressure and kill you on the counter team. Like they have truly talented guys every position. Like this is not, it's, it's not like Jose Mourinho ball where it's like, okay, you know, we're outgunned. So we're just going to, you know, turtle under and just like get one goal on the counter. Like this, it, it's new, more nuanced than that. I also don't know if any team talk about like Cucho Hernandez being the, the best number nine, but I don't know if any team in the league, has a better one-two punch up top than Carlos Vela and Denny Bawanga when they're both on top of their form. I genuinely could not agree more. And I texted you early in that match where, you know, you made a comment about, you know, Carlos Vela, like this would really be a big moment for him because he's kind of been quiet in these playoffs to kind of have that quintessential star moment. Whereas I said, him simply being on the field is what allows Denny Bawanga to be Denny Bawanga. And I say this saying that I've really only gotten fully into MLS since like late May, early June, and really followed it closely here, like early August through now. So like, I don't have a full season sample size, like I probably should, but I will say in the amount that I have seen, Carlos Vela, even when he's doing nothing, is still way more impactful for LAFC on their opponents than a lot of players in MLS. And even when he's doing nothing, 
him being there, like you said, with Bawanga there is still one of the best one-two punches in the league, regardless of whether he's statistically producing. And similar to Cincinnati, this is to take nothing away from what Houston has accomplished this year. U.S. Open Cup champions, they had a great run. They are playing great soccer. I don't even know, like, I think Houston, and we gushed over Houston for the past, you know, month or two. I don't. I still don't think they're. I think still think they're a very good team, and I think LAFC is just that much better. Yep. And so I'm trying to, and maybe this is how we segue into previewing MLS Cup final. I'm trying to just compartmentalize in my mind, like, okay, how good is LAFC? Like, are they just that much better right now than everyone else? Like, is Columbus that good? I don't know. Um, because that was a good team, and they just boa constricted them, to, mm-hmm. like, really easily. Yep. Looking forward to MLS Cup final. Um, always a good time. I one of the bigger moments in the American soccer calendar. I'm hoping eventually it will be one of the bigger moments in the American sports calendar. LAFC versus Columbus Crew Saturday, December 9th at 4 p.m. It's on Apple TV, like it has been all year, but it's also on Big Fox from a lower.com field in Columbus. Columbus is an original MLS club. They have two MLS Cup titles to their name looking to become the third club to win three or more, joining LA Galaxy's five and DC United's four. This is their fourth total MLS Cup final appearance. LAFC is in its sixth year of existence. This is already their second MLS Cup final appearance after winning it last year. They're looking to become just the eighth team to win multiple MLS Cups, joining Galaxy, DC, Columbus, Houston, Seattle, Kansas City, and San Jose. They're also looking to become just the fourth team to win back-to-back MLS Cups ever. The Jaime Moreno, Marco Echeverri, DC United, won the first two MLS Cups in 96 and 97. The Dwayne DeRosario slash Brian Sheen, Houston Dynamo, won in 06 and 07. And the David Beckham slash Robbie Kane slash Landon Donovan, LA Galaxy, did it in 2011 and 2012. This is a rare matchup. These two teams have never played each other in the MLS playoffs, CONCACAF Champions League, Leagues Cup, the U.S. Open Cup, or MLS is back tournament from 2020. They didn't even play each other in the regular season this year. The last time these two teams faced each other was May 21st of 2022. LAFC won 2-0 at Lower.com Field in Columbus with goals coming from Carlos Vela and Jose Cifuentes, who is currently playing for Rangers in Scotland. Dom, what are you looking forward to in this blockbuster matchup? Well, I love my boy Trevor Wilt. I will be at his wedding on Saturday during the MLS Cup. So I'll have to miss it, watch it on tape delay, um, like I did for an annoying number of matches during the Women's World Cup. But that's okay. That is you okay. You pull up on your phone during the ceremony, right? You're you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I can absolutely do that and look like a complete dickweed, but that's okay. Um, honestly, I I think I'm fascinated to see how LAFC – handles another really difficult environment um i i I really think columbus playing at home is gonna have just that extra like tiny bit of advantage um they've been really good at home all year i think what they did in the playoffs going to orlando and to cincinnati and winning those matches was super impressive and i think that momentum is just gonna keep feeding them when they're at home in columbus um, so that's one thing. 
Second is I just want to know if LAFC stars can continue producing like they've been producing. Can Denny Bawanga continue to be that difference maker? Can Hollingshead continue to just like score goal after goal after goal <laughs> after goal after goal on set pieces? Um, and and honestly, likewise for for Columbus, can you know can, can Nazi continue to honestly be their star as the best coach in the league and make those tactical adjustments as they go. Um, and honestly, they may need to get the tactics hundred percent right from the jump because if they're not careful, I wouldn't be surprised if LAFC snags two or three goals in the opening half and puts the game away before Columbus can even blink. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of that chess match done early on. Um, and if Columbus can maybe survive, say those first 20 to 30 minutes and keep it at nil, nil, um, I really like them to, to kind of see it through and, and walk away with the MLS cup title, because it is incredibly difficult to win back-to-back MLS cups. Like the law of averages just are simply, it's like, like when the U S women's national team went to the world cup, the law of averages was just against them to going to Australia and winning the World Cup title. I think the same goes for LAFC. Regardless of how amazing they are, the the sports world somehow seems to find a way to put you in your place at some point in time, and that could very easily be on Saturday. That was just a vibes answer, so I apologize if that wasn't good enough, but. That was absolutely a vibes answer. Um, It is really hard to go back-to-back, though. I mean, the three teams that have done it, are all like the the OG DC United teams are among the best teams ever in MLS. The like David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Galaxy teams are among the best teams ever in MLS. Like Dwayne DeRosario, at the peak of his powers, I would argue is like top eleven players in MLS history. So it's you have to be elite. You have to be special to do it. This matchup feels very much like a like a Styles make fights kind of thing. It's so like we mentioned, like LAFC, very happy to concede possession, whereas Columbus is going out there to try and play beautiful soccer. Like that is their main goal is to entertain you and possess and connect and have passing triangles and do, you know, Hogo Bonito things. So I think it's going to be really, really fascinating. I, like we mentioned, LAFC feels like their top line talent is better, but Columbus feels like the much deeper and more complete team. And this will be a good test of, like, which one of those things is more important. I don't know that I have the answer. I think we're going to get the answer Saturday. For me, I think the key matchup is Darlington-Nagby as the holding midfielder. I, I'm i once again going to make probably a hyperbolic comparison of American soccer to the actual world's elite. But I feel like Darlington-Nagby is kind of like a N'Golo Conte when France won the World Cup. Just like the guy in the middle who's just doing all of the dirty work that is so crucial to everything that they do and he's so good at it. And you'll know that he's won so much doing that. And he and the rest of the Columbus back line contain Carlos Vela or can Carlos Vela, who hasn't had like a peak year, still been good, but hasn't really been, he's not been the MVP level. He's still very much capable of title winning moments. Does he have a title winning moment in him this game or is Nagby, 
able to kind of suppress that and push it the other way. I think that's the key matchup for me. I, I, I don't want to say this is like a legacy game for Carlos Vela. Cause I think he's, he's definitely done plenty in this league already um, to kind of put himself in that echelon of like some of the best players to ever play in MLS. But I think it's easy to say that last year's LAFC team won the double because they just spent more than everybody else. This year's LAFC honestly feels more like just a well put together MLS side in which Carlos Vela is very clearly that team's best player. And if he can have one of those moments, I think he'll easily go down as probably the best player in LAFC history when we're 10, 15 years down the line. And who knows, maybe one of the best players to ever step foot and play in MLS as a league. Um, but that's now, I've always said Kellen Acosta is the best LAFC player of all time. Yeah, yeah okay, chill out. Um, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, I do I think, think go ahead. I, I think Vela is their most important player, but mm-hmm. I think Denny Buwanga is still their best player. Uh, that's probably true. That's probably true. What he's capable of, and we talked about it more last episode, of just being explosive at all times. I would be shocked if he's in MLS another two years. Like I bet someone in Europe is gonna be like, Hey, you score a million goals every time you step on the pitch. You know, here's 40 million pounds to come right. play in a big five league. I will say I'm also, as I'm talking through it, even though I don't think LAFC is as deep as Columbus, I've been impressed with some of LAFC's kind of more role players, if you will. I think Timothy Tillman has been really good as kind of the central midfielder guy connecting the lines. Um, Christian Oliveira has been pretty good for them up top. I also love on a team that has, again, Carlos Vela, who is, you know, Super decorated Mexican international has won, you know, at several different levels. Denny Bawanga is incredible. And but but Ryan Holland's head. Dude, the guy who played who college soccer at UCLA just who keeps scoring. Is goals. this guy? <laughs> I'll also counter your depth argument and say that I do believe depth matters a ton when you look at like a season in its entirety. But when you get to a final, like, yes, even in a final, it matters because if you have a good bench, you can bring on impact subs that can change the game just like Nancy did in the Eastern Conference final. But um, the players that you have when when there's no next game to play, like it, it, it kind of negates this, like, it negates tiredness. It negates uh, maybe the need to use subs almost as regularly as maybe you normally would in a regular game. Like you're going to leave players out there. You may some, some clubs don't even sub until extra time in finals most of the time, because like these are the 11 I got and they're just going to exhaust themselves till it's over. Um, so I, I I think you'll see some of that negated with LAFC and just there it's just their 11 versus Columbus and regardless of who Columbus brings off the bench it may not necessarily matter that much unless they get it to that extra period in which case then it does matter but if we're just looking at 90 minutes I would I would still probably say 
and put my money on LAFC to to find a way to win. Maybe depth isn't the right word for Columbus, but I think they have a supreme versatility. And that yeah. was shown in the Eastern Conference final that they, with the, the personnel that they have, they can play in a number of different ways and meet a number of different challenges. And I think that's why Houston was really good this year because they were very versatile. Like They could respond to a number of different challenges. And even though Houston doesn't have the star power of LAFC because they were so versatile, I think they punched above their weight a little bit. I don't think anyone expected Houston to make the conference final this year. That's a testament to Ben Olsen. As always, this is a Ben Olsen stay-in podcast. Uh, but I think Columbus does have that versatility. Yep. That's all I got there. Let's move on to the U.S. Women's National Team. The Emma Hayes era for the U.S. Women's National Team started with a 3-0 win over China in Fort Lauderdale on Saturday. Although the new manager was not yet on the touchline for the Stars and Stripes, the U.S. got a lovely goal in the eighth minute as Naomi Germa played a diagonal ball over the head of the China right back for Trinity Rodman, who was in behind the back line, where she played a perfect cross to Sophia Smith, whose run in the middle of the box ended in her putting the ball in the back of the net. The second half featured some bad Chinese goalkeeping as Lindsay Horan's cross missed both Jane Shaw and the defender and just kind of bounced into the goal anyways. Then in the 77th minute, Midge Purse did well to advance the ball through several defenders along the right wing, played in Shaw, whose cross took a deflection in the six-yard box, and Rodman pounced on it to make it 3-0. Tuesday's game was not the mm-hmm. most inspired soccer match I've ever seen. Uh, China actually went ahead right before halftime after Emily Fox got burnt and conceded a free kick. Then everybody fell asleep marking, marking and China got a header at the back post that went across the face of goal for Shen Menyu to tap in very easily. The U.S. did eventually win 2-1. Uh, Sam Coffey got her first international goal, floating a ball to the top corner after a corner kick pinballed around the box. And Shaw scored the winning the winning goal in her hometown, cleaning up a free kick with a shot to the low corner. Dom, what were your takeaways from this U.S. camp? Why, why do we keep playing the same team twice in these windows? Like we, the U.S. Women's National Team has been doing this. Like, and I don't, I don't say this to say like, why are we all of a sudden? No, we've been doing this for years. Like we have been doing the outside of like the She Believes Cup. We have been doing this for years. And I'm assuming logistics makes it easier and more efficient, I guess. So that's probably right. But like when you play a team twice, which you'll note never happens in an international tournament, at least back to back times, like. Oh, okay. Sorry. Rachel's going up to bed. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought completely. My bad. Um, Anyway, but when you pl- when you play a team back to back times, like it's really hard to have the same level of quality in that second match that you did in the first. Because guess what? They already know what you're doing. You know your scout. You know how you're going to line up. And not to mention that second match with the honoring of uh, Ali Krieger felt very similar to those two matches against South Africa where we're here for the event. We're here to honor a U.S. Women's National Team legend and we're here for the vibes. Like, I don't, I don't know if you gathered that, but that's very much what I gathered. Like they did the whole ceremony bit. Like we got tears, we got waterworks, we got everybody's family here and they just came out flat. What I took from it. And it's funny. Cause I mean, these are elite, 
world-class athletes, and I think we forget that they're just normal people sometimes. And they had the most relatable thing that they've maybe ever done in that it's like this is between Thanksgiving and Christmas and like every other worker <laughs> in the world is like, I'm mailing this shit in. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to make it to the whole like yeah. you had a long season, you had a World Cup, you had a long NWSL playoff just ended. I think they were just tired and wanted to go home. Yeah. Like I watched the first half of the of the Tuesday game and went, Oh, okay, we're just mailing it in. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Like I get it. It is what it yeah. is. Like, I don't blame you. It's like the ninth freaking friendly we've played this fall. Yeah. Like, how much can you really get up for it? Like right. Right. It's Especially fine. when you're playing the same team that you just smoked. Yeah. A couple of days earlier. And like all these friendlies, so similar to South Africa and Colombia, China is, you know, a decent team. Like they'll make World Cups. But this stage of women's soccer internationally, they're not a world elite team. They're not going to contend for titles or World Cups or Olympics. So I do have actual like actual takeaways, but I'm interested to see like this new era U.S. women's national team against like the best competition. Um but I will say, all, all that being said, I thought, especially compared to the two previous camps of friendlies, we looked a lot more fluid and free-flowing, and that's really promising to me. It was a little rough around the edges at times, but everyone just looked a little bit, especially in the first match before we decided to mail it in, everyone just looked more energized. I mean, we're just trying stuff, and when you get enough of these amazing play, amazingly talented players that we have, we're the deepest team in the world. We may not be the best team right now, but I think we're still the deepest. And you just let them cook for a little bit. Awesome stuff happens. That first goal, that ball that Gurma played, every time I watch Naomi Gurma, I'm like, this girl is the best center back in the world. Like That was incredible. You have Rodman and Smith cooking up top together. That's really exciting. For me, I, I think when Sophia Smith is healthy, which is not always the, the case, I think she has to be the starting striker. She did not have a great finishing display. She still got one goal, but her positioning, her runs, her ability to create her own chances, her own passing, it's pretty unmatched. And we have a very talented group of attacking players, but I think she's still kind of head and shoulders above everyone else. And like that finishing, that's going to regret to the mean over time. I think she just had an off game and you give her a big enough sample size, she's going to be putting a ton of goals into the back of the net. I also think her and Trinity Rodman have um, a connection that yep. is um, honestly probably unlike much that we've seen out of this camp. Um, it legitimately at times you could, I think it could get to the level where it equates to the connection that Rapino and Abby Wambach had mm, yeah. from like 2010 to like 2013, where you could argue they were like the best winger striker combo in the world. And it may not have been that close. Um, I also like not to discredit who we're likely going to play in the W gold cup, which we'll get into here in a minute. Um, but like teams with the quality of Colombia, South Africa, China, outside of the semis and the final, that's largely who we're going to be playing that's in true. That competition. And, you know, these friendlies are a space to try stuff. And 
it seems clear to me that the U.S. Federation is not taking the Gold Cup incredibly seriously. <laughs> and so what better place to try stuff where you can likely still win games pretty comprehensively than at the W Gold Cup? And so I'm hopeful that we'll bring our best group to that competition. And I hope we rotate the players in a similar fashion to how we did in that second match against Colombia and how we did in this most recent window against China. Yeah. I take any tactical stuff with a grain of salt in friendlies, but I did see some, some interesting things. I mean, in the first match on paper, it was a four, three, three, but a lot of times it felt like a three, five, two. I really enjoyed Casey Kruger as the right back, really pushing forward into the attack. I think that's a really interesting thing for us going forward. I think I like her over Fox at the moment. Um, Rose Lavelle kind of dropped into the midfield a good bit. And it almost felt like a kind of like a box in the midfield with, with Sonnet, Haran, Lavelle, and DeMello. We're all just kind of really fluid and interchangeable and just doing all kinds of stuff. And that was really exciting too. Because that was a really interesting idea that we we did not see any of that fluidity at the World Cup. Um, I think if we had even without technically our head coach, just like this freedom and kind of vibes, if you will, I think we could have made it to the quarterfinals just off of this, even without like yep. an actual technical uh, mindset, I guess. Yep. Um, not that I'm still angry about how the World Cup ended. Yeah, we're just going to get over it and flush it because we can win two trophies in 2024. Um, the other couple odds and end notes. Jane Shaw and Mia Fischel kind of in the second half against China were combining really nicely and just putting Chinese, def- like Chinese defenders were just chasing. Bro, ghosts. those two can hoop. So like they having those really two, good. having those two, cause they almost have like that Smith Rodman connection together. So having them as backups to those two. Disgusting. Disgusting. I think you have Lynn Williams, who I will continue to advocate for just letting her cook whenever we want to. We kind of have a, and honestly, I thought Ashley Hatch was good too. Andy, when Mallory Swanson gets a knee again, <laughs> I keep forgetting about her. <laughs> just saying, just yeah. saying. Um, then the the other player I thought Jenna Nicewanger, who NWSL Rookie of the Year, Florida State alum. We're gonna talk about them in a second. Um, I thought she was really good as a left back. I think that's a nice depth depth piece as well. If we want to use Crystal Donna as like not a left back in her actual natural position as a midfielder. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever happen. Yeah, who knows? Um, any other US women's national team thoughts before we talk about the road mm. to CONCACAF W Gold Cup? No. You wrapped up our group stage in this beautiful competition. We'll start League A, Group A. Puerto Rico kept Mexico off the scoreboard for the first half. Mexico broke through in the second half to win 3-0 behind a brace from Kiana Palacios, a former UC Irvine Anteaters great and 2017 Big West Midfielder of the Year. That clinched Mexico's spot at the 2024 W Gold Cup. So needing to win by multiple goals to stay alive in the tournament, Trinidad Tobago was not able to get a result as Tigres Cristina Ferral scored a well-struck goal to give Mexico a 1-0 win. So that also secured Puerto Rico's spot in the playoffs in February. In Group B, Panama got a huge 1-1 draw against Jamaica, playing on the road in Kingston. 
Jamaica was still without any of its World Cup players due to ongoing disputes with the Federation. Marta Cox, who you'll remember from scoring a free kick at Golasso against France in the World Cup, converted a penalty for Panama's lone goal. So needing to win just to make the playoffs, Jamaica's B team could only muster a 1-1 draw at Guatemala in the final match. Anna Martinez, who has played in Italy for the past several years, converted a penalty on a really obvious foul call for Guatemala's lone goal. So Panama wins the group with seven points to clinch their spot at the Gold Cup. Guatemala, excuse me, Guatemala finishes in second with five points to earn a berth to the playoffs. And Jamaica's three points means the team that made the round of 16 at the World Cup this summer, like a couple months ago, will miss the Gold Cup entirely, which is crazy to me. In Group C, one of the most interesting games of the Road to CONCACAFW Gold Cup took place between Costa Rica and Haiti. After Las Ticas took a 1-0 lead in the first half, Haiti's Norelia Mondesir, who plays for Montpellier in France, scored a rocket of a goal in the 55th minute, hitting a swerving strike from 35 yards out. Costa Rica found a winner in the 8th minute of stoppage time through Alexa Herrera. The 2-1 win matched Haiti's 1-0 victory over Costa Rica back in September and set up a situation where Costa Rica had to score at least 14 goals against St. Kitts and Nevis on the final match day to qualify for the Gold Cup directly. But one of the dumbest groups I've ever seen in a soccer competition delivered, and Costa Rica beat poor St. Kitts Kitts and Nevis. I cannot talk today. 19 to nothing. That is a middle school football score, where like your kicker is in seventh grade, and you get one out of every three PAT attempts, and you win a game 19 to nothing. That's what happened, except... This was a soccer match at an international level. I don't know how CONCACAF's rating system, I know you have a rant about this later, put St. Kitts to in League A to begin with. This is really dumb. Anyways, Costa Rica qualifies directly for the Gold Cup with nine points and a plus 30 goal differential, while Haiti will play in February's playoffs with nine points and a measly plus 24 goal differential. St. Kitts and Nevis is eliminated with zero points, and if you've done the math, you know they had a negative 54 goal differential. A reminder that these teams played four games each. I'm going to stop losing my mind over dumb math and move on to League B. In Group A, Suriname eliminated Antigua and Barbuda with a 1-0 win. Then Guyana eliminated Dominica with a 9-0 thrashing. So on the final day, Guyana avenged a September loss against Antigua and Barbuda on the road with a 3-0 win on a neutral field in Suriname with a gorgeous sunset in the background, I might add, to win the group and clinch their spot in the Gold Cup playoffs. Annalisa Vincent opened the scoring with a backheel goal of the sauce there. In Group B, El Salvador had already won the group in the October window, so their spot in the February playoffs was already clinched. In Group C, St. Vincent and the Grenadines was already eliminated and then had to forfeit their match at, Bar- at Bermuda because they were, quote, unable to report to the match. Not 100% sure what that means. Hit the hashtag because CONCACAF there. The Dominican Republic officially eliminated Barbados with a 7-1 to obliteration on the road, which set up a winner-take-all match on the final match day against Bermuda. Playing at home, the DR avenged a loss from September, beating Bermuda 2-0. The winning goal came from Alyssa Oviedo, who scored 13 career goals for the University of Vermont Catamounts. So, as we stand, the teams that have qualified for the group stage, the 12-team group stage at the W Gold Cup are USA, Canada, Mexico, 
Panama, Costa Rica, and then our invited friends from South America, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, and Paraguay. The playoff matchups to determine the final three group stage participants, which will take place on February 17th, are Haiti versus Puerto Rico, El Salvador versus Guatemala. It's a tasty Central American matchup there. And then Guyana versus the Dominican Republic. The group stage draw is taking place on Monday, and the group stage proper will, will begin on February 20th. Your thoughts on the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, my friend? You're just going to fail to mention that those prelim matches are taking place on your birthday. I am so ashamed. February 17th. Is what better birthday present could I ask for than yeah, W I'll Gold be, Cup prelim matches? I'll be matches. up in Richmond. We'll watch the three matches, and then we'll get some beers. Anyway. Um it is a Saturday, so it, it is you get after it. Um, group C in League A was an absolute joke. I don't understand how or why St. Kitts and Nevis was in League A. I don't understand why El Salvador is in League B. I don't understand why when the playoff seedings were matched up. So, ladies and gentlemen, you'll note that we continue to just destroy CONCACAF for their really dumb competition formats that no one's ever seen or heard of before. So the way they matched up the teams was instead of just saying, okay, the three Group A runners-ups will each play a winner from League B. No, no, instead they took those six teams, used their doofy ratings index, seeded them one through six, one plays six, two plays five, and three plays four. So explain to me how Puerto Rico, who is in League A, was seated sixth and will play Haiti. Meanwhile, El Salvador, who was in League B, is seated second and will play a team from League A. Explain any of that to me. I don't, I do not, I, I can't, no comprehendo, no comprendo. I don't understand how or why we got here. Um, I don't know if there's eventually going to be promotional relegation if this is going to lead to maybe a deeper tournament with a Nations League-style format than what we have now, or if it's just going to go off into the nether and we'll never have another W Gold Cup ever again. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, there was a League C that happened, and we just didn't mention it because there was no chance of any nope. of those teams like even qualifying for the prelims. They just play. But that would make you think that they are gonna do a nation's league thing which i think would be good but i i don't know i don't know either it seems like we kind of threw this one together at the last second it really does which i imagine concave actually did because that's kind of how they roll all i'm excited for i think is the draw on monday i think i'll be able to have more thoughts about this whole deal when i know who exactly the u.s is going to be playing in february in basically for the U.S. strictly California. Yeah, this was this was a pretty straightforward window. I don't think there were a ton of like huge, shocking results. Um, Other oh, um, Jamaica, not even making the prelims. Yeah, that would be the one. Yeah. Is is a is gross misconduct from their federation, and the fact that a team that was seen as one of the 16 best teams in the world couldn't beat Guatemala and Panama at home is a disgrace. 
and everybody at that federation deserves to like be fired or something. Yeah, I haven't seen any up because I, the federation, I think last month, put out a thing like, "Hey, we like we paid you know the payments that we had been owing them," but clearly that wasn't. I I, I don't know where their negotiations stand. I probably should have done a better job of researching that, but clearly not good enough for them to actually show up and play. Right. Um, which is shambolic. Yeah. It's not great. All right. Should we before you talk about some stuff? Let's briefly go over the Copa America draw that finished as of 26 minutes ago. You ready to have me show you the groups and give you the groups in real time? I can't wait. Okay. So coming into the draw tonight, the four highest seeded teams were Argentina, Mexico, the U.S., and Brazil, drawn into groups A, B, C, and D accordingly with Argentina in group A, Mexico in group B, the U.S. headlining group C, and Brazil in group D. Joining Argentina in group A is going to be Peru, Chile, and the winner of Canada in Trinidad and Tobago. In group B, joining Mexico is Ecuador, Venezuela, and Jamaica. Joining the U.S. in Group C is Uruguay, Panama, and Bolivia. And then finally, rounding out in Group D, joining Brazil is Colombia, Paraguay, and the winner of Costa Rica and Honduras. So you'll note that throughout the draw, they had to move teams around because there's a stipulation that no more than two CONCACAF nations could be in a single group. Well, after they finished drawing Group B, there were only CONCACAF nation t- nations left in the draw for the U.S.'s group that already featured Uruguay and Panama. So if you're doing the math, there was only Jamaica and a playoff winner left. So they had to move some teams around, and eventually they placed Bolivia in Group C with the U.S. Because we just couldn't figure it out beforehand. Any any initial any initial thoughts from you? I know I uh, I'm excited. Uh, so, all right, so it's Argentina has the winner of is it Trinidad and Canada? Correct, and then Peru and Chile. Seems like a very winnable group for, group for Argentina. I would love to see. Trinidad and Tobago try to defend Lionel Messi. That would be very amusing to me. Um, Mexico's group had what? Ecuador, Ecuador and Venezuela. Venezuela and Jamaica. That's I think Jamaica key tricky. I think Jamaica has a real shot to advance. I really do. I don't want to call that a group of death because I don't think any of any of those teams are like super legit chant like contenders to win, but I actually think I think those are four teams that are pretty closely aligned in terms of talent. I could see that being a very chaotic group. Yep. So the U.S. has, uh, should beat Bolivia. Bolivia is not good. Then Panama, the... Panama and Uruguay. Ooh, I don't love that Uruguay matchup for us. I don't either, but we don't play them till the final match day. 
And Panama's no slouch either. We got to exercise some demons there. Which we might get to do in Nations League in March. That's a good point. I um, think don't... our our best 11 should be able to win yeah. this group, in my opinion. Our best 11 should be able to handle our business against Bolivia and Panama and find a way to get a result against Uruguay. That That's what I believe. That, I mean, that Uruguay matchup is going to be a blockbuster. Do we know where that's going to be? Kansas City. Like... Kansas City. Ooh, so we play, we'll play Bolivia at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. We'll play Panama at Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta. <laughs> we should think about going to that one, seeing all of those. Um, That'll be great. And yeah. then we will close the group stage in Arrowhead against Uruguay. What day is that uh, Panama game in Atlanta? June 27th. No earthly idea what day of the week that is. I'm gonna hope I don't have anything going on June 27th. Um, all right, and so so then Brazil is stuck with uh, Colombia, Paraguay, and the winner of Honduras and Costa Rica. I don't feel good about our friends from Concacaf in that group. Nope. <laughs> Paraguay has not been playing great lately. Like I think they're out of the World Cup as of right now. So that's probably going to be Brazil and Colombia. Although Brazil has not been playing great lately. And they'll be without Neymar. Who you'll note broke his knee in half as his club tweeted that lovely photo of him. God, that was so unhinged. (laughs) Oh, you can tell like the Saudi league is just so, such a weird thing conceptually. And then you can tell it's like, man, we really don't belong on like the world stage of soccer. Because why are you tweeting out an injury graphic? For your world class player with him like writhing in pain on the graphic. What are you doing? Well, my initial thoughts honestly are I'm really excited. I think I love draws sometimes more than the actual tournament themselves because it gives me a chance to like actually speculate and predict and think about what could come in the future. Um I don't love that the U.S. is matched up with Group D. I think even if the U.S. wins that group, the thought of having to play a quarterfinal match against Colombia or Brazil is somewhat frightening. Um, I think, I mean, our path, granted how they've matched this up, would likely be, if we were to make a final, would be likely Colombia in the quarters, Brazil in the semis, and then Argentina in the final which you could argue those are three of the top four teams in South America on a regular basis. And then not to mention we're in a group with Uruguay who you could put in that fourth and fifth range, depending on whether or not Edison Cavani decides to like actually show up and produce. Uruguay has won more world cups than Spain. They have. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really, really good test. It's going to be a, a better test than as much as we love the Gold Cup than the Gold Cup or Nations League is to see where we truly are at in terms well, of... I I do think an advantage we have is being the top-seeded team in our group. Our path slowly builds up. So Bolivia, then Panama, then Uruguay, then Colombia, Brazil, Argentina. Like, it, the, the team gets slightly better with every match that we play, which I think could be an advantage for a young team playing in essentially just its second 
long-term tournament together. It's like a video game. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for Cove America. That's gonna be a blast. I uh, I don't think I quite realized until this draw, like how close it is. We're only like a couple months away from that. We like, are indeed six, seven months. I mean, the opening match is Argentina against the winner of Canada and Trinidad and Tobago in Atlanta on June twentieth. Could you imagine I, that? I can't wait for I can't wait for March now to get Nations League semis and those playoffs. Those playoffs are going to be electric. That can the Costa Rica Honduras playoff is going to be lit. Oh, that whole weekend is electric because that's the opening yeah. weekend of the NCAA tournament too for men's basketball, men's and women's basketball. Ooh, I'll have to take some PTO. That is a freaking wedding that weekend too. How many are you in a wedding just every single? I'm weekend? not in any of these weddings. I just keep getting invited. Got a bunch of friends that are getting married. No. Anyway. I mean, it is that, yeah. It's that stage of our lives, Andy. All right. You want to talk about some stuff? I got a tasty round robin for you guys today. We uh we entered the CONCACAF Central American Cup final with Costa Rica's Alajuelense already holding a 3-0 advantage on aggregate over Nicaragua's Real Esteli. And they saw out a 1-1 draw thanks to a goal from none other than Arsenal legend Joel Campbell to hoist the trophy in the inaugural competition and book their place in the round of 16 in next year's CONCACAF Champions Cup, a competition that Alo Helense has won twice in 2004 and 1986. We headed to Jamaica for the final leg of the CONCACAF Caribbean Cup with SV Robin Hood of Suriname holding a 1-0 aggregate advantage over Cavalier FC. Cavaliers' Chenille Thomas, the golden boot winner in this competition, picked up a second yellow in the 55th minute for a studs-up challenge. Down to 10 men, Cavalier conceded the nail in the coffin in the 89th minute as Franklin's Singo Di Cromo rocketed a first-time shot off the underside of the crossbar. Jamilio Richters added a cherry on top in stoppage time, and SV Robin Hood has clinched a bye to the Champions Cup round of 16 with a 3-0 aggregate win. I love me some SV Robin Hood. So after winning the 2022 league title in Suriname, SV Robin Hood had to win the 2023 CONCACAF Caribbean Shield to even qualify for the Caribbean Cup. And now they'll automatically be entered into the same round as Alapalense, Lionel Messi's Inter Miami, and five-time Champions League winners Pachuca from Mexico. If that's not beautiful, I don't know what is. In the Caribbean Cup third-place match, Mocha FC of the Dominican Republic eked out a 1-1 draw with Harborview of Jamaica to win 3-2 on aggregate. Harborview had a corner kick in the dying moments of the match and hit a shot off the crossbar, and Mocha goalkeeper Odalis Baez had to make a save on a header off the rebound as the Dominicans cleared the danger with the last touch of the game. Mocha FC will be making their Champions Cup debut in the first round next year. College soccer time, baby. The College Cup field is set for the NCAA Division I Men's Soccer Championship in Louisville with semifinals on Friday, December 8th, and the championship on Monday, December 11th. West Virginia will be playing in its first-ever College Cup after defeating Loyola Marymount 3-1. The Lions took the lead in the second minute through Steven Anderson, but goals from Luke McCormick, Sergio Ors Navarro, and Yutaro Sukata gave the Mountaineers the win. In the semifinals, they will face three-time NCAA champion Clemson, the Tigers beat Stanford 2-0 behind Gael Gilbert's goal, headed in on a corner kick. 
and Tyler Trimnell's goal from a rebound to clinch their 10th College Cup appearance. On the other side of the bracket, it was an Indiana Derby as Notre Dame hosted Indiana University. The Fighting Irish struck first with a gorgeous free kick goal from Daniel Russo in the 17th minute, but the Hoosiers responded in the 63rd with a Patrick McDonald goal from the top of the box. We stayed level at 1-1 through overtime and went to a shootout where Indiana's Joey Maher hit the first penalty off the left post. Every subsequent penalty was a make, including the game winner from Russo in the fifth round. Notre Dame will make its third College Cup appearance, where they will meet College Cup debutants Oregon State. The Beavers beat North Carolina 1-0 on the road, thanks to a goal from Dante Williams, a two-time All-Pac-12 honorable mention. We crowned a Division I women's champion in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, in the first semifinal, Florida State got a 2-0 win over Clemson behind a half-volley strike from Caitlin Zippe and a top-bins finish from Jordan Dudley. In the other semifinal, Stanford beat BYU 2-0 with both goals coming within the first four minutes. Ali Montoya had a chipped finish to the back post. Then Maya Doms scored an absolute banner from outside the box. And that set up a matchup of three-time NCAA champions in the final. The Seminoles scored the first two goals of the game within 26 seconds of each other with ACC Freshman of the Year Dudley converting a penalty, and first-team All-ACC Jody Brown finishing a wonderful ball from Taylor Huff off the un- underside of the crossbar. Doms pulled one back for the Cardinal early in the second half, but Florida State scored three unanswered goals. After that, as third-team All-ACC selection Beta Olsen picked up a goal and two assists to ice the game at 5-1 to one for Florida State. This is the biggest margin of victory in a title game since 2005, when Portland beat UCLA 4-0. Canadian legend Christine Sinclair, the world record holder for career international goals, was the most outstanding player of that 05 tournament. Florida State is now in sole possession of second place for the most NCAA championships in history with four. They still trail North Carolina's 21. If you took everybody else in the country combined, they would still be tied with North Carolina with 21 national titles. Absolutely absurd dominance from the Tar Heels. Uh, the Seminoles, though, they're the new kind of the new sheriff in town. This is their second title in three years, third title in six years, and fourth title in the past decade. The final four is also set for the Division II men's tournament in Matthews, North Carolina. The semifinals are, are happening right now, actually, and the title game is on Saturday, December 9th. Two-time and reigning NCAA champion Franklin Pierce beat Gannon 1-0 through a goal from a player that is listed on their roster as Aaron Sanchez Sanchez. Oh, Aaron Sanchez Sanchez. Uh, anyways, the Ravens, the Ravens advanced to their sixth Final Four. Lewis, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, made their third Final Four in program history with a 3-2 win over Maryville University the one in St. Louis, not to be confused with Maryville College in Tennessee, and a matchup of Great Lakes Valley Conference rivals. The Flyers got two goals and an assist from Arturs Gorodnikis, a two-time second-team All-GLVC honoree. Florida Tech, another two-time NCAA champion, won a dramatic game against Limestone, winning 3-2 in overtime with a brace from first-team All-South Region selection Fabio Amaral, who scored the game winner in the last minute of the second overtime period. The Panthers advanced to their fifth Final Four. And Colorado State Pueblo, last year's runner-up, advanced to their second straight Final Four after prevailing in a shootout over Cal State Los Angeles 
after the match was tied 2-2 through through regulation and 3-3 through overtime. Aiden O'Hara scored the winning penalty for the Thunderwolves, love that name, in the sixth round of the shootout. We have also set the Final Four for the Division II Women's Tournament, also in Matthews, North Carolina, and also on Thursday and Saturday. We are guaranteed a brand new NCAA champion in this division. Point Loma from San Diego will make their Final Four debut after a 1-0 win over University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. The Sea Lions got their goal through Bethany Arabe, a first-team All-Pac West honoree. They will play Florida Tech, making their second Final Four appearance in program history, previously making it in 2010. The Panthers got an insane 5-4 win over Lenore Ryan in the quarterfinals. Florida Tech went ahead 4-0 in the 30th minute before the Bears came all the way back to tie it at 4-4 in the 62nd. The Panthers' Kate Frazier, who is listed as an air traffic control major, which is awesome, scored her first goal of the season in the 87th minute to put Florida Tech into the semifinals. The other semifinal will feature Adelphi from Long Island, two-time national runners-up, making their sixth Final Four appearance and first since 2004, the Panthers beat Gannon 1-0 through an 86-minute goal from Alexis Hellman, her sixth of the season. Adelphi will play Washburn from Topeka, Kansas, who will make their Final Four debut after a 1-0 win over Grand Valley State. Grace Peterson scored the lone goal for the Ichabods, the true freshman's first collegiate goal, chipping the goalkeeper from 35 yards out in the 81st minute. We also crown champions at the Division Three level in Salem, Virginia. For the men, it was St. Olaf College from Minnesota beating Amherst 2-1 in overtime. The Oles' Casey McCluskey was named the tournament's most outstanding player. He followed up a two-goal performance in the semifinal with the overtime game winner in the final. McCluskey is my favorite Division III player because not only does he ball out with eight goals on the year, but he does so rocking the rec specs. And for the day game, he was rocking like the tinted sunglasses rec specs. You don't see that every day. Uh, incredible. He's like the best player on the field. And he looks low-key ridiculous, but like better athlete than I will ever be in my life. Shout out to Casey McCluskey. This is St. Olaf's first national championship. They become the 23rd different school to win a D3 title. Messiah is still the all-time leader with 11 national championships at that level. For the women, Cal Lutheran won their first national championship beating Washington University in St. Louis 1-0 through a long-range strike from Isabella Veljacic, a three-time all-region selection. The Regals are the 18th school to win a D3 title. Messiah also holds the all-time record for women's D3 national championships with six. That is all the college soccer I was able to squeeze in there. Any thoughts on that, Don? What do you mean all you were able to squeeze? That was all of it. That was literally all of it. I tried to get every level. Who is Messiah? The, the Messiah? best Division Three soccer team in the universe, clearly. Uh, I want to give a shout out to former Tennessee women's soccer head coach Brian Penske, who is the fearless leader of the Florida State Seminoles. Um, he took that job uh, two years ago, uh, thoroughly deserved it. Um, he won a ton at Maryland and at Tennessee, two programs that hadn't really been rich in much of anything soccer wise um, and took each well, I think Maryland to the Sweet 16 took Tennessee and Bunny Shaw to the Elite Eight in 2019, 2018 
thoroughly deserving of that title. I'm assuming they'll win it next year. They'll probably win it the year after that. Um, A1 human being, A1 soccer coach, um, GBO always. Messiah University is in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is what near is Harrisburg that? in the middle, like super central PA. Great. They play in the they, Middle Atlantic conferences. Yeah, good. They they grow hemp and 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 what else? Corn. Uh they grow division three championships, is what they do, Dom. Lovely. Love the analysis. And I'm glad SP Robin Hood is in the round of 16 of Champions Cup. I cannot wait for Inner Miami and Robin Hood to play each other in the quarterfinals. <laughs> I'm taking Robin Hood. I have to. Could you imagine? I'm trying to imagine Lionel Messi playing at SV Robin Hood on a rainy Tuesday in April. He can do it in these fancy stadiums in the U.S. Can he get it done in Paramaribo? People have been asking. They'd probably move that match to like Orlando or something. You know they would. I hope they don't. I hope he has to go play in Suriname. Oh, boy. Because I think they... You got anything else? Uh, Soccer's the best. I'm trying to look up the rankings for like how it gets seeded. Anyway. I'm assuming Robin who would be the f- I don't think they would play in the quarterfinals. I think Pachuca is going to be the top seed. So anyway, this is currently episode 24 or 20. Yeah, this is 24. Andy, our next episode is episode 25. Quarter of a century mark. How does that feel? Isn't that nuts? Uh-huh. I'm impressed by our perseverance. I honestly didn't think we'd get this far. Uh, I'm excited to keep doing it. The next episode, we're going to recap MLS Cup, which should be an absolute banner. I'm really looking forward to MLS Cup. Same. I'm probably going to try and squeeze some more college soccer in there because we're going to have some more national championships. And we'll preview the Club World Cup. We'll probably look into the W Gold Cup draw at that point because that is on Monday, I believe. We're recording here on Thursday, December 7th. Anyway, as per usual, we've got still a good bit left to cover before the year ends and you and I go off on our holiday travel uh, spree. Um, can't wait to record episode 26 in front of everybody on New Year's Eve. Um, I think that's going to be the perfect <laughs> to record. Just live podcast from... Uh... Was it like is Lexington is technically Lexington, the town there? South Carolina. Uh, anyway, is there a college? What's the closest college to Lexington, South Carolina? Is it USC? Uh, I think it's technically Anderson. Ah, the Trojans. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I think if you've made it this far, you're a real sicko for soccer. Um. My name is Don Palumbo, <laughs> my esteemed and much smarter colleague, Andy Loman. Thank you for making Because Concave a part of your day and night, evening, afternoon, whenever you may be listening, however you may be listening. We appreciate you a ton. Have a great day, evening, afternoon. Night. <laughs>